you served in any uh, branch of the military, would you please stand? Anybody here? Let's give them a hand. I try to make it a point that when I see folks dressed in, in, in their military clothes to go up and say thank you, I think that's the least we can do for the folks who, um, who have continued uh, to make sure that we live in a free country. Um, freedom is never free. Freedom always costs somebody something. And I just did a little study, a little uh, history of the United States. Since 1776, I, I tried to figure out how many people have given their lives in conflicts of freedom. And that's, that's just about any, any place that, that our men and women in the military are sent. And since 1776, over 1,350,000 people have given their lives in service to our country. So don't ever think that freedom is free. It costs somebody something, the ultimate sacrifice. And so this is not a weekend where we just get an extra day off from work, where we, where we just kind of are lazy. Yes, you can do that, but the reason we do this we get that extra day is because somebody paid for your freedom and, and many people paid the ultimate price. And today is all about remember. And so I want to remind you of some other things, not just that, that people gave their lives so that we might be free, but I want to remind you of some spiritual things, some things that happened for you spiritually so that you might be free as well. Um, my life, your life is represented by this box. From the moment that I come out of the womb, you came out of the womb, we have been trying to fill our desires and, and put things in this box that make us feel good about us, right? I mean, from, from when you're a child and you have toys and, and you loved your toys, right? Anybody not like toys as a child? You love toys. So you put those in there. Then you become a teenager and the, and the toys get more expensive. So you have to get more expensive toys. And then you become an adult. If you're a man, they're even more expensive. And so you put all of these things in your life. You have this insatiable desire to fill this box, which represents your life with things that make you feel good and benefit you. And, and, you know, you, you still feel, maybe you go to work and maybe you aren't in love with your job, but you're in love with all those other things. So you still got to go to work, right? And then you get married and you have relationships and you fill your life with all of these things, searching for meaning. And, and when the newness wears off of something, you, you toss that out and you put something else in there and you run around with this desire to fill yourself up with something that lasts, something that uh, will last beyond this lifetime. You're trying to find meaning in life. And what if you're not very, very careful, those things that you put inside there, instead of just being good things, they will become your God, lowercase g. And you will pursue those things, whether it's recreation, whether it's relationships, whether it's something to make you feel good. And what you actually desire, you, you, want, you want to find people and things that revolve around you. I'm just, I'm just telling you like it is today. We are a people who want other people to like us. Do you hang out with people that you don't like? No. Or that don't like you? No. You want to be around people and you want things that make you feel good. But if we're not careful, we will begin to bow down to those things. And we'll spend all of our time, all of our resources on those things. And they become the highest priority in our life. And they take the place of God. And, and what I want to tell you today is there's a better way. And I want to remind you of some things that we need to prioritize today. So the first thing I want you to remember is the greatness of God. By the way, we, we always post this on, uh, if you have a, the U version of the Bible on your smartphone... 
You can always go to Uversion Live. You can find an event, type in 75801 or any of those, and it will pull up all of the notes that are on your listening guide are also on Uversion. So if you want to, that's the one time it's legal to pull out your smartphone in worship. So the first thing is the greatness of God. I want to show you a video that compares the size of planets in our universe to give you an idea just how insignificant we are. Watch this. Like that ending? That was some pretty dramatic music, by the way. I just found that on YouTube. Okay, if the Earth is this little bitty dot compared to that huge planet, what does that make me? I'm some kind of little bitty small, yeah, a speck, a speck on the dot. I'm, I'm a pixel um, in this whole thing. And so I want you to realize how vast, how great our God is. The very first um, verse of the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You see, God is by, by very nature a creator. He creates anything he wants. He creates as much as he wants, and he does it out of nothing. Now, just imagine, God exists with uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the heavenly host are there, and God says, I think I'll create a universe. And the heavenly host says, what's a universe? Because they'd never seen one, and the only thing that was out there was nothingness. And so they said, what's a universe? And, and by the way, how are you going to do that, and what are you going to make it out of? Because there's nothing there. And God says, I'm going to make it out of nothing. And he says, Universe. And, and those galaxies and stars and everything just burst on the scene. And then he says, you know, the heavenly host, they're pretty impressed. They go, wow, that's a universe. And so then he says, well, I'm going to fill it with planets. And they say, what's a planet? Because they don't know what that is. And God says, planets. And they burst on the scene. And they go, wow, that's pretty cool, God. <laughs> it appeared out of nothing. See, great, God is so great, he's so powerful, so creative, so beyond our ability to understand that he simply says, I want this, and it pops into existence. Can you really comprehend that? There's not a superhero that anyone has ever imagined who has powers like that. And I haven't seen Green Lantern, but I understand he has a ring, and he's, he's only limited by what he can imagine. But there's a problem with that. He has to have a ring. And then I was reading about it, and you, some of you comic book geeks are going to give me a hard time with this. I don't care. Just keep it to yourself. But even when he has his ring, he has no power over yellow objects. What kind of stupid limitation is that? God doesn't need a ring. God's not limited by anything. He speaks and it is created. Now, I've never heard of any scientist anywhere who looked into an empty Petri dish and wished the nothingness that it had that it contained into something. You ever heard about that? Whatever it is that scientists do, they do with stuff that's already created, but not God. I want you to hear what the Bible says in Acts 17, 24 about God. The God who made the whole world and everything in it is the Lord of the land and the sky. He does not live in temples built by human hands. So don't ever think that God only exists here because there is not a temple on the planet that can hold God, a, a God so big that he speaks and things are created. And so what that also means is no matter how big you think you are, you're not the center of the universe and your little box, your little life cannot contain God. And you will not be fulfilled until you let God come into your life. The irony is that this great, big, vast God created you and me and he put this little void inside that can only be filled with God. But what do we do? We run around and try to put other things in there and try to be happy with our little bitty lives. God says that until you are filled with him, and he's so great, so vast, that when you are filled with him, it bursts out of you 
Jesus said, rivers of water, of living water will burst out of you. It's the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. And when you're filled with God's spirit, then it bursts out of you and touches everyone around you. And that's when you begin to be fulfilled with life. The reason some of you are so frustrated is because you're filling your life with temporary things. And so I want you to realize God is so big. He's bigger than your imagination. And trying to understand God is like trying to catch a fish in the Pacific Ocean with an inch of dental floss. Can't be done, can it? This God who's so big created everything. And the Bible tells us very clearly. He created it for His glory. All of the planets were created for the glory of God. You were created for the glory of God. And when we get in trouble is when we try to steal God's glory. And God says, I will not share it with anyone. Every one of you was created for the glory of God. You exist for his glory. And God designed your box to be filled with his glory. And then to spill that glory out to everyone else. And so I want us to spend just a second singing about the glory of God. So I just want you to stand and let's sing this song.
So when we, when we sing these songs, I want you to catch the idea that we're singing to one who is bigger than me. One who cannot be contained by human hands. Cannot be contained in temples built by hands. The greatness of God I want you to remember today. Second thing I want you to remember is the cost of forgiveness. In the Old Testament, forgiveness came at a, at a price. A hands-on, literal, an innocent third party has to pay the price for your sin and for mine. That type of price. The sacrifices were actually symbols The innocent animal gives their lives as payment for the sins of the people. I'm going to describe this for you. But but don't think for a minute. See, here's what we got to connect with in the Old Testament. The sacrifices weren't like you you took your animal to the temple and dropped it off and said, Here, you know, forgive me, priest, talk to God, forgive me, that type thing. You didn't get to go on to eBay, order a lamb, a ram, whatever it is, have it delivered by FedEx to the temple and say, forgive me. All right, you with me? You didn't do that. You went out and you picked the prize animal from your herd. You took it to the temple. And what you were supposed to do was you were supposed to give it to the priest. Now, I want you to, I want to read this and then I'm going to describe it to you. Leviticus 1. The person bringing it is to lay his hand on its head. Okay, the first thing you're supposed to do, you bring your prize animal that you have spent time raising, nurturing, washing, all of this stuff, getting it ready and you're going to give it to the to, to God, to the tabernacle, which is a temporary temp, uh, temple. And the, it, what's happening is Moses is leading everybody around the wilderness. And they have a temporary place where they worship because everybody lived in tents. And they would take down the tents and they would move on. So the tabernacle was the foreshadowing of the temple in the New Testament. So you would take your prize animal. You would lay your hands on that animal, identifying that, yes, this animal is innocent. I am guilty. I'm transferring my sins onto this animal. All right, that's the first step. The person bringing it is to lay his hand upon its head, and then it becomes his substitute. Everybody knows what a substitute is, right? That's the teacher that you try to get away with as much as possible when the real teacher isn't there. That's whoever replaced Michael Jordan back in the day. They were a substitute. They weren't as good as the real. Well, this is the substitute. You understand the word substitute. The death of the animal will be accepted by God instead of the death of the man who brings it as the penalty for his sins. The man shall then kill it, kill the animal before the Lord. Now, actually what he would do, he would slit its throat and he would drain its blood and he would catch the blood in a, in a little container. He would hand that off to the priest. The priest would take the blood. They would sprinkle it on all sides of the the altar, all sides of the temple, the tabernacle, because blood was symbolized uh, when the shedding of innocent parties, uh, innocent third parties blood. It symbolized the cleansing of the temple and the cleansing of the person with sin. So they would drain the blood. They would hand the blood to the priest. The priest would sprinkle it. Let's go on. Uh, Then the man shall kill the animal there before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priest will will present the blood before the Lord, sprinkling it upon all sides of the altar as the, at the entrance of the tabernacle. And then, after he did that, they would come back. Then the, the, the man would have to chop up the animal into pieces. I don't know if you've ever done that. If you've ever cleaned a fish, you know how bad that is? Imagine a big old bull or a ram or a lamb. You chop it up, you give it to the priest, the priest would then take it and burn it before God, and then it becomes a fragrant offering to God. And then God says, Okay, Chad... Your sins are covered. And this was done to show us that sin has a very high price. And, and without that blood, there would be no forgiveness. 
And so why all the fuss? If you think about this, because there were hundreds of thousands of animals in the sacrificial system from the time that God established it until Jesus died on the cross. Hundreds of thousands, probably millions of animals that had to be killed. Can you just imagine Jerusalem? People every day were bringing animals to be sacrificed. So blood was being spilled in Jerusalem. It probably stunk in Jerusalem because of the blood. And God wanted them to know that there is a literal price to pay for sins. It's either your blood or the blood of an innocent third party. And I don't know about you, but, you know, my prize lamb, I'm like, it's me or you. It's you. Does that make sense? Someone has to pay the price. And so the short answer, why does God fuss about this? Because he's a holy God. And, and what that means is there is no sin in God. God has never thought about sin. He's never tempted anyone to sin. There is no sin in the presence of God, which means you and I do not qualify to enter the presence of God because we are sinful people. And so blood must be shed. Someone's who's innocent must be shed so that I can then come into the presence of God, so that you can come into the presence of God. Now, if we're designed by God to bring him glory... And we're disqualified from coming into God's presence because of sin. We have a dilemma. And so God's established the sacrificial system to remind us that sin has a price to pay. Someone will pay with their life. You'll either pay with your own life or you'll pay with the life of an innocent third party. The choice is yours. And then we move to the New Testament. We see in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Someone has to pay for your sins. The message of the Bible is no one is good enough to come into the presence of a holy God because of their sin. So somebody's blood has to be shed. In the Old Testament, the innocent third party was an animal. But we know that the Old Testament was just a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And see, here's the thing. This This is the symbolism. Jesus was walking on the planet one day and he's coming out to the Jordan River and John the Baptist is out there. John the Baptist is teaching, and he looks up and he says, Behold, he's saying, Everybody look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you've got to realize someone has to pay the price. We don't sacrifice animals anymore because of what Jesus did. So it's either you or it's Jesus, and it seems to me that's a no-brainer. I'd choose Jesus. Let's stand and let's sing about this mighty Savior.
So we got to remember the greatness of God. We got to remember the cost of forgiveness. And if this forgiveness is offered to everyone, why doesn't everyone go to heaven? Well, that's what you got to remember. Number three, you got to remember who I was. In uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 51, verse five. David is talking and David, who is who is the king, has been caught in adultery. And he says, God, I, I need to confess to you that I've sinned against you. And look what he says in verse 5. He says, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. He said, I didn't even get out of the womb till I had these desires to do what's wrong. You know, we love our babies, but you don't have to de- teach your babies what to do what's wrong. You have to teach them to do what's right, correct? You weren't guilty of sin because you were born. You were guilty of sin because you sinned. But you inherit this sin nature from your father. This desire to do what's wrong, it comes from your dad. And uh, you're guilty because you sinned, not because your dad sinned. And you cannot come near a holy God because of your sin. There's just no getting around it. And just to be real clear, in the New Testament, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. And he says, let me tell you what some of you were. Ephesus, uh, Ephesians 2.1. In the past, you were dead. Not kind of sick. Not you had committed some indiscretions. Not you'd made poor choices. You were dead because you sinned and fought against God. You followed the ways of this world and obeyed the devil. He rules, he rules the world and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. Once we were also ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and minds. We had made God angry and we were going to be punished like everyone else. But God was merciful. We were dead. Just in case you didn't get it. He says you're dead in your sins. Because of our sins. But God loved us so much that he made us alive with Christ. He said, you don't need a little bit of God to make you better. You're dead. You need to be resurrected. God made us alive with Christ. God's wonderful kindness is what saves you. So let's be real clear. Here's what Paul says about you and me from the moment we're born. We're dead. We're world followers. We're devil worshipers. Ooh, that's kind of harsh. But Jesus said, you're either following God or you're following the devil. There's no in between. He said, you're either... Related to God the Father or you're related to the devil. There's no in between. So we're dead, we're world followers, we're devil worshippers, and we're destined for God's punishment. And just about that time, you would expect in Ephesians to say, and everybody's box went to hell. Because we're dead. And the most incredible words in Scripture. But God made us alive. God was merciful. Which means you don't get what you deserve. And he provides a way for you to come to heaven. We're, walk, we're offered a way out of the predicament. The good news of the Bible is God raises the dead. He rescues, he ransoms, he reforms, he reconciles to people through himself, through the death of Jesus on the cross. And so the message, the good news is God saves sinners. The bad news, does he save all? No. He only saves those who bow their knee before him and say, I am a sinner. When you do that, God wipes away. He says, okay, you no longer have to pay your own penalty. My son, Jesus Christ, you bowed the knee before you died. You get to go to heaven. Bible also says that everyone, whether they bow before they die or not, will one day bow at the name of Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But the only ones who get to go into heaven are the ones who bowed the knee before they died. And so this is a big deal. How I respond to this good news determines everything about what I do in this life and it determines everything about what happens to me after I die. Without the shedding of blood, it says in Hebrews, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without forgiveness of sins, you will not come into the presence of a holy God. So it's utter foolishness to think that you can earn your way to God. Can't be done. 
The only way is through to the Father is through Jesus. But a lot of people look at that and they say, it's too simple. No, I don't believe that. Look what Paul says about people who don't believe in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. That's a nice way to say that for those who are headed to hell. And by the way, I'm not trying to scare you out of hell into heaven. As if that's even possible. Heaven is reserved for people who are related to God through Jesus Christ. Heaven is reserved for people who love God. People who hate God on this planet. God says, I'm going to honor your choice. And you're going to be separated from me forever. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. So it's foolishness for people who don't believe. It is the power of God for people who do believe. And in the Old Testament, there's this really, really strange story. I remember reading this when I was a kid and being blown away by this. It's in Numbers chapter 21. And if you want some crazy reading to do on a Memorial Day weekend, pull that out today because it's, it's just strange. Moses, again, is leading the people, the Israelites around the wilderness. And God had said to them, because you disobeyed me, didn't go into, the, into Canaan, the promised land. They had sent spies in there. The spies came back and gave a bad report. God said, because you believe the spies and not me, you're going to wander in the wilderness 40 years. One year for every day the spies were in Canaan. And so they knew. The people knew they were supposed to wander for 40 years. God told them, you're going to wander for 40 years. But on that 40-year wandering, they get impatient because it's taken too long. Because the calendar's not flipping by fast enough and they're 40 years of punishment. And so they begin to complain and they complain against God and they complain against Moses and they say, and we hate this stinking food that God is giving us. And so you got to remember 10 times there were 10 um, plagues in, in Egypt that helped them get out of Egypt. There were 10 times that they wandered around the wilderness that they ticked God off and he threatened to destroy them. And in this instance, God, because they're grumbling against Moses, they're grumbling against God. God does something kind of crazy. He sends some fiery serpents, the Bible calls it, into their midst and it begins to bite them. Now, you're pretty smart. What, what happens to people when they're bit by a poisonous snake? If there's no anti... Yeah, they die. And so people started dying and they start looking around and people are dying. They're going, oh no, we messed up. You know, they're like little kids that got caught and they begin to confess that, you know, I messed up and I don't want to get hurt. I don't want you to spank me or take away my privileges because I got caught. That's the Israelites. They're like, oh no. And so look what happens in Numbers 21. Then the people came to Moses and they said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you because people were dying and they realized how serious their sin was. And they said, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses, Moses was, the the Bible says he was the most humble man on the planet. When he could have said, God, destroy them. They deserve it. Destroy them. He he went and he prayed for them. Ten times they messed up. Ten times Moses prayed for them. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the, the Lord told him, this is the strangest thing. Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. Now, does anyone here believe that the fake snake on a pole had any power to save anyone? Was the power in the fake snake? No. We know that what God wanted was people to obey his word. God said, if you'll obey what I'm revealing to you, I will save you. So all they had to do was look at a stick. How simple is that? You know what the Bible tells us? There were some really stupid, stubborn people who refused to look at the fake snake. And you know what happened to them? They died. And don't you know, because all these people were traveling around for 40 years in the wilderness. You know, there were campfires. What do you do when you sit around a campfire? We tell stories. But can you imagine the first couple of nights after all these people died because they didn't look at the fake snake? 
Can you believe Joe didn't look at the snake? I mean, Susan looked and she was saved and Susan was married to him, but that idiot didn't look at the snake. Now he's dead. I mean, right? That's what people were going. It was so simple. Look up. Seems like such a strange story until you get into the New Testament. And Jesus is talking to a religious leader, Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, I, I believe you're of God, but what, do I, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world, or for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of something in the New Testament. Just as people refuse to look at the fake snake, people today refuse to look at Jesus. And you know what happens to people who, for, who refuse to look at Jesus? It's the same as what happened to the people who bit by snakes and refuse to look at the snake. What is it? They die. Now, some of you are thinking people you go, we all die. Yeah, we do. But there's a couple of kinds of death. There's physical death and then there's eternal death. Physical death is what happens to your box. Your box, your box is put in a bigger box and is put in the ground. Eternal death is separation from God forever. And the Bible says that those people who go through physical death do not have to go through eternal death if they do what? If they look at Jesus who's been lifted up. It's so simple that many of you today are going to miss it. I want to tell you real quickly before we do the Lord's Supper how you can know for sure that you're in the kingdom of God. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then a few verses later in verse 13 it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple, but there's a lot of people who are going to refuse to believe it. I remember when I was sitting in a, in a church when I was six years old and I was sitting next to my brother on a Sunday night and I, I felt like... For the first time, I realized that I was a sinner at six years old. You know, there was drinking, there was prostitutes. Not really. Six, come on. I was just seeing if you're awake. But I knew that I had some bad stuff, some bad thoughts in my life. I knew that I was disobedient to my parents. I knew that I was mean to my sister, and she was mean to me. But I was a sinner, and so I went forward and I said, God, I'm a sinner. And I believe that night... God deposited His Holy Spirit in my life. I asked Him to come into my heart. I, I didn't know much about sinning and, and about serving and all of that stuff, but I said, God, I give you my life. Please forgive me of my sins. So what we say around here, we say you ask God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And when you do that, the Bible says that God puts His Holy Spirit inside of you to give you a power that's not of this world, to resurrect you, to make you alive. That's what the Bible says will happen. And so I don't want you to miss it today. And in just a minute, when we do the Lord's Supper, if, if somebody wants to come up here, you can come up here and pray. You can come up here and talk to me. We're going to have somebody at each table. If you need to know what's going on with the Lord's Supper, we'll explain all of that to you. Um, but I want you to remember that God is holy and he will not share his holiness with anyone. And you don't get to run to God and say, God, fill me up with all your toys and then I'm going to ignore you the rest of my life. God says, no, I don't do my blessings that way. You come to me, you get me, and then you have everything you need. Maybe not everything you want. So God is holy. He's a great God. Remember the cost of forgiveness. <clears throat> what was the third one? Just went blank. 
Remember who I was, yeah. And then here's the fourth thing I want you to remember. I want you to remember what's inside. Are you filling your life with things that are temporary or are you filling your life with God? Because here's, I was going to do this, but I decided I better not. The Bible says that at the end of your life, your deeds will be burned with fire. I thought this was too big and it might get out of control. Church dies because a stupid pastor. That would have been the headline tomorrow. Says that it burns everything up with fire. And, and the Bible says the only thing that will remain of your life and mine is what was done for Christ. It says everything else that we're chasing after, all of the, the big TVs and the nice cars and all of this stuff, all of it will be burned up and the only thing that will remain of your life is what was done for Jesus Christ. So I don't want you to miss it today. Some of you here, if you were to walk out these doors and never breathe another breath, you would be separated for eternity from a holy God because you said, that, that cross stuff is foolishness. I don't want you to make that mistake. So I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you don't know for sure where you stand spiritually, there's a very simple prayer. And, and the words mean nothing if they don't come from your heart. So you can repeat this after me till you're blue in the face. But if you don't mean it, you will not be saved. But if you do, if you give everything you know of yourself to everything that you know of God, he will adopt you into his family today. So here's how we say it. God, I know I'm a sinner. Just say that silently in your mind if you want to pray that. God, I know. You don't have to convince me. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus Christ died as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I believe without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So today, God, would you apply Jesus' blood to my life? God, will you forgive me of my sins and will you lead my life? So if you did that, if you just prayed that, just give me a quick look. Several of you. Awesome. Bible says that when one person turns from their old life and receives new life, that there is a party in heaven. The angels in heaven rejoice. There's been, there's been some partying going on today. Father, take our lives and use them for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's, here's how we're going to finish this up. We have registration cards. Fill that out. If you prayed today, I'd like, to, I'd like you to write that on the back. I prayed today. Um, if you have prayer concerns, write that on there. There's a car, there's a three baskets in the back. One's our joy basket. And the reason we tell you this, a lot of people don't understand. I've had people, we have new people here every week. And some of my, even my relatives, I don't know if it's you or or Jesse, one of them, when the first time they came, Rachel or Jesse, they came and they're like, do you not take an offering here? And, and because we don't pass an offering plate. And so that's at the back and, and you can give back there. Second basket is our registration card basket. Um, that's where you put your, Yes. Third basket is bagel basket. We're just trying to get out of debt. Everything goes in there, goes to our mortgage. Okay. Here's what I want to do. We're going to watch a video that's called, What Does Love Sound Like? Very powerful video. I want you to examine your heart. Everybody who is a Christ follower is welcome to come to one of these tables. There's one here, there's one here, and there's one at the back. And, and if you don't understand that, talk to one of the folks that are around these. Um, James, you coming up here?
John, why don't you come over to this one? And Amanda back there? Okay, I couldn't see in the dark. If you have questions, here's the basic idea. The night before Jesus died, he's having a meal with all of his followers. And he says, he just stops in the middle of this meal. I'm trying to get where you can see me. And I'm not in the shadow. He has this meal and he takes some bread in the middle of the meal. And he says, this bread is my body. It's a representation of my body. It's broken for you. He says, take this and eat it in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he says, this cup is my blood. It's not the real blood. It's symbolic of the blood. Take this and drink this cup in remembrance of me. The Bible doesn't tell us how often to do it. It just says every time we do it, we are proclaiming that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we're in the family. That's why it's a big deal. If you're not a Christ follower, it's okay. Don't take it. Don't feel, don't feel like you should take it. There are some Christ followers here today that shouldn't take it because the Bible says, remember I said God's holy, God's great. In the New Testament, there were some people who got sick and who died because they came to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And I don't want to scare you in in a way I do, in a way I don't. But here's what I mean. If you are blatantly living in sin, don't come to the Lord's table because when you come and you take the bread and you drink the cup, you're saying, I'm a Christ follower. And his blood that was shed on the cross has, has washed me clean. So if you're not living for Christ, you shouldn't come to the Lord's table. That's what the Bible teaches. So in the New Testament, people did that. And, and Paul said, some of you are sick and some of you are died, have died because you came to the Lord's table and you dared to desecrate the holy name of God. Now, after I've scared you, the Bible also says that if you examine your heart and you confess your sin... God cleanses you. So if you sit there and you confess and you feel like God says, take the Lord's Supper, then take the Lord's Supper. The bread is a symbol of his body. The the juice is a symbol of his blood. And you're saying to everyone else, I love this Jesus and I've given my life to it. That's the Lord's Supper. So I wanted you to remember the greatness of God. I wanted you to remember the cost of of forgiveness. I want you to remember who you were. And I want you to remember what's inside on this Memorial Day weekend. Watch this video, and then we're just going to play some music. And when, when you're done, we're just going to ask you to, to please leave quietly, um, put all your cards and stuff out there. If you need to pray, just take your time. We're not going to leave here until, until people are done. But when you're finished taking the Lord's Supper, you're, feel free to leave. And please don't talk in here. Living room, talk all you want. Because this is a serious holy time. And some of you may want to come and pray. We don't do this very often. If you just want to come and, and kneel and pray before you take the Lord's Supper. If you need to come and talk to me. If you want me to pray with you. That's what this time is for.